DiscerningHearts.com presents a Lord of the Rings spiritual retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University and has dedicated many years of extensive ministry to retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching on the spiritual life. He's also the author of several books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is also featured in several series produced by EWTN, including Living the Discerning Life. A Lord of the Rings spiritual retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. We've been discussing the Lord of the Rings and speaking of Frodo and the hobbits and all those wonderful characters of the Shire. Talk to us more about Frodo. He has such an incredible journey and some challenges. They are. And let's move now. We're moving toward the latter part of his journey. Focus for a moment on what happens when Sam and Frodo, who are now with Gollum, pause in the land of Athelion for a moment. So much has intervened since the last point we looked at in the journey at the Council of Elrond the journey through Moria, Lothlorien, down the Great River, the breaking of the fellowship, the crossing of the marshes, coming up against the Black Gate and it's closed. And Gollum has now indicated that he knows another more secret way into Mordor. And Frodo has, uh, after some searching, has accepted that change of route into Mordor. And this leads to a brief reprieve because as they go down along the side of the mountains of Mordor and going south, just to the west of that is the land of Athelion, which has come under the enemy's domination, but is not yet wholly ruined. So you still have living plants, trees, and flowers. And at this particular moment, they pause to rest for a moment in a thicket of trees. Gollum is off hunting for food. Sam wants to cook a meal and has sent Gollum off to get food. He comes back with a few rabbits. And while Sam is considering how he's going to prepare the food, Frodo lies down and falls asleep there in the midst of the trees. And Tolkien writes, Frodo, after a few mouthfuls of Lembus, this waybread of the elves, settled deep into the brown fern and went to sleep. Sam looked at him. He was suddenly reminded of Frodo as he had lain asleep in the house of Elrond after his deadly wound. We quoted this passage before as Gandalf looks upon Frodo while he sleeps and sees the the beginning of a transformation, the hint of transparency. Then, as he had kept watch, Sam had noticed that at times a light seemed to be shining faintly within. But now the light was even clearer and stronger. Frodo's face was peaceful. The marks of fear and care had left it, but it looked old, old and beautiful, as if the chiseling of the shaping years was now revealed in many fine lines that had before been hidden, though the identity of the face was not changed, which is a lovely literary description of growth. The the identity of the face is not changed, but now a light is shining and it's growing stronger and clearer as Frodo proceeds on the journey. There's peace in his face, and there's something beautiful, 
chiseling as if the shaping of many years was now revealed in fine lines. So these are all ways in which Tolkien is indicating to us that Frodo is not remaining the same as this journey unfolds, as he goes faithfully through the various steps of the struggle and the darkness, he is, to use Tolkien's word, being ennobled. Or as I said before, as Tolkien explains, he's being sanctified, he's growing. And the same is true of us as we go faithfully through the journey. You know, you see people sometimes, and it's usually in the latter decades of life, although it depends on what we go through in life, but for most of us, if by God's grace we get there, it's in the latter decades of life. When you see something like this, that the older marks of fear and care no longer dominate, and there's something beautiful as a kind of peace, as if the chiseling of the shaping years is now revealed, and so on, as Tolkien writes. And there's a kind of peace and stability and rootedness, which is a beautiful fruit of a long journey of growth. I am reminded, even as I'm saying all of this, of a woman I know who is now in her mid-80s, very, very ill, probably in God's providence, not too much, not too many more years left to live. And I've known her for maybe 25 years and have just watched this kind of transformation take place. She now has one of the most beautiful spiritual lives I've ever seen. I share this with her permission. An unshakable peace in the midst of many and growing physical ills and a deep sense of God always with her. It's this kind of growth that Frodo is is moving toward as the journey unfolds. And Sam doesn't have words to describe this very well. And so he says, he murmured, I love him. He's like that. And sometimes it shines through somehow, but I love him whether or no. Another major shift in the movement of the story now, the ring has been destroyed. We're going to come back to that uh, just a little bit later, the moment when the ring is destroyed. But for the moment, I want to complete the itinerary of growth that uh, Tolkien traces in Frodo. And the ring has been destroyed. Aragorn has been crowned king. The travelers have returned to Rivendell. And they're just about now ready to start back into the Shire. And so this is the beginning of the chapter that Tolkien entitles Homeward Bound. At last the hobbits had their faces turned toward home. They were eager now to see the Shire again. But at first they rode only slowly, for Frodo had been ill at ease. When they came to the ford of Bruinen, this was where they had the the struggle against the, the Nazgul, he had halted and had seemed loath to ride into the stream. And they noted that for a while his eyes appeared not to see them or things about him. All that day he was silent. It was on the 6th of October, which is one year the anniversary of the stabbing with the knife on Weathertop. We begin to get a sense that although the peace has been restored to the world and evil has been removed, there is a certain woundedness in Frodo that has not disappeared. Are you in pain, Frodo, said Gandalf quietly as he rode by Frodo's side. Well, yes, I am, said Frodo. It is my shoulder. The wound aches. That's where the king stabbed him with the morgul knife. And the memory of darkness is heavy on me. It was a year ago today. Alas, there are some wounds that cannot be wholly cured, said Gandalf. I fear it may be so with mine, said Frodo. There is no real going back. Though I may come to the Shire, it will not seem the same, for I shall not be the same. I am wounded with knife 
sting, tooth, and a long burden. Knife, that's the knife of the Lord of the Nazgul. Sting, that's the sting of Shelob. Tooth, that's when Gollum bites his finger to regain the ring, and long burden carrying the ring. I am wounded with knife, sting, tooth, and long burden. Where shall I find rest? Just a very deep question. Where shall I find rest? Gandalf did not answer. So that even as they return back to the Shire, something in Frodo will not return in the same way as he left. A little bit later, they are on the verge of entering the Shire, Frodo and the other three, Sam, Merry, and Pippin. And they begun to realize when they returned to the inn at Breathe, they begun to realize that something is not right in the Shire. And as they're going to find out, Saruman has worked great damage and destruction in the Shire. And so they say to, to Gandalf, well, we'll have you with us, so there really is nothing to worry about. We'll get it all cleared up. And Gandalf answers, I am with you at present, said Gandalf, but soon I shall not be. I am not coming to the Shire. You must settle it, its affairs for yourselves. That is what you have been trained for. Gandalf was sent into the world to be the enemy of Sauron, and his task is complete. Sauron has been defeated, and before long, Gandalf will leave the world, as the sequel in the story will show us. So Gandalf tells them, this is why you made the journey. This is why, to use our Christian terms, God called you to go through the responsibilities and the burdens and the struggles and the darkness of the journey. This is what you've been trained for now. Now you can handle many things that you could have never handled or in Christian terms, you can serve God in ways you would have never been able to serve him before. You see the growth, the ennoblement. Do you not yet understand? My time is over. It is no longer my task to set things to rights or to help folk to do so. But as for you, my dear friends, hobbits, all of us, you will need no help. You are grown up now, grown indeed very high, among the great you are, and I no longer have any fear at all for any of you, which is a wonderful thing. With God's grace and walking faithfully on the journey, the ways in which we are able to live our vocations faithfully, the ways in which we are able to love and serve the Lord through the people around us that God has placed in our lives, in our respective vocations, grow. Grow in a way that we could have never imagined had God not called us to go through the journey, as he calls Frodo and his companions. Now they have returned to the Shire, and the scouring of the Shire takes place. They defeat Saruman's men, who have been doing all that they can to destroy the Shire. Saruman is defeated, and now he, accompanied by Wormtongue, stand before Bag End. Frodo is there with the other hobbits, and some of the hobbits, for understandable reasons, want Frodo to put Saruman to death because of the damage he's done. But Frodo will not do that. So he is sending Saruman and Wormtongue, his associate, away from the Shire. Saruman turned to go, and Wormtongue shuffled after him. But even as Saruman passed close to Frodo, a knife flashed in his hand, and he stabbed swiftly. The blade turned on the hidden mail coat, that's the mithril coat, that Bilbo had given to Frodo. The blade turned on the hidden mail coat and snapped. A dozen hobbits, led by Sam, leapt forward with a cry and flung the villain to the ground. Sam drew his sword. And now watch how Frodo replies. No, Sam, said Frodo. 
Do not kill him even now, for he has not hurt me. And in any case, I do not wish him to be slain in this evil mood. He was great once, of a noble kind that we should not dare to raise our hands against. He has fallen, and his cure is beyond us, but I would still spare him in the hope that he may find it. And I quote this because of Saruman's response. Saruman rose to his feet and stared at Frodo. There was a strange look in his eyes of mingled wonder and respect and hatred. You have grown, halfling, he said. You have grown very much, which says everything that we can say about why God calls us to go on the journey that may lead through darkness at various points along the way. And then a final quote, and this is from the very end of the book now at the Grey Havens, when Frodo is about to take the ship together with Elrond and Galadriel, Gandalf and and others, across the sea to the place furthest west, the island of Erisea, where he will find peace and healing. Standing by the shore, Sam realizes that Frodo is leaving. Where are you going, master? cried Sam, though at last he understood what was happening. To the haven, Sam, said Frodo. So he's leaving Middle-earth and going to the place where he will find rest. But, said Sam, and tears started in his eyes, I thought you were going to enjoy the Shire, too, for years and years after all you have done. And now this is Frodo's response. So I thought, too, once. When Frodo first conceived of the journey, he thought of it as a journey like Bilbo's, there and back again, into adventure and danger, and then a return back to the Shire. But that will not be the case. So I thought too once, but I have been too deeply hurt, Sam. I tried to save the Shire, and it has been saved, but not for me. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. Which touches another profound, profound truth in our lives as we understand it in the light of Christian revelation. It must often be so, Sam, when things are in danger. Someone has to give them up, lose them, so that others may keep them. And in fact, if you look at how things conclude for Sam and Frodo, Sam's journey is a there and back again journey. He has been ennobled and grown enormously through it, but he returns to the Shire, he marries, he has children, he is made mayor of Hobbiton, and lives for many years. Uh, a happy life in in the Shire. In a sense, he represents the vocation to marriage, I would say, and to parenthood, and to serve God in the lay life. Whereas Frodo, for Frodo, there's none of that. Frodo does not marry. Frodo does not remain in the Shire. He is the one who has to give up these things and lose them so that others may keep them. And sometimes this is what God will call us to. Um, parents who, for the sake of the love they have for their children, have to give up certain things. In Tolkien's words, have to lose them so that their children can have them. Or those called to the priesthood or religious life who take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience, again, in that sense, very clearly, give up certain things, lose them so that others may keep them. I'm reminded of a story that Archbishop Fulton Sheen used to tell in his talks of a young girl who was sitting in the kitchen of her home watching her mother work. And she was looking at her mother's hands. And the backs of her mother's hands were covered with scars. 
And so this day she finally asked the question that she had long wanted to ask, and with the bluntness of a child said, Mother, how did your hands get so ugly? And her mother answered and said, When you were a baby, one day you were upstairs sleeping in your crib, and the house caught fire. I ran upstairs. The blankets around you had already caught the flames. I tore them off of you, picked you up, and ran with you out of the house. That is how I got these scars. And the young girl said, Mother, I love your scars. And I think that's about the happiest thing we can ever read in the eyes of another person, whether they say it that explicitly or we just see it in their eyes. I love your scars. I love the way you have given of yourself for me, your time, your hands, your energy, your tiredness, your service, your consistent companionship, your listening ear when I need needed you. I love your scars. And this is what uh, Pope John Paul, St. John Paul II now, called so often in his writings and talks the law of the gift. That is, that as long as we try to be happy by seeking my way, my time, my plans, and so on, we will never be happy. But when we make the gift of ourself in love to another or to others, then a wonderful thing happens, he says, we become happy. And this, this is what Frodo exemplifies in a very powerful way throughout the story, and it's evident here right at its conclusion. He is the one who gives up things that are in danger gives them up and loses them so that others may keep them, which touches this whole deep principle. C.S. Lewis called this the principle of indirection, which says the same thing as St. John Paul II's Law of the Gift. That is that uh, C.S. Lewis says, as long as I deliberately set out to seek my happiness, I'm never going to be happy. But when I give myself in love and service to others, then this wonderful thing happens that by indirection, as it were, I become happy in life. We'll return to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John S. of Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcast, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. An easy way to help Discerning Hearts is to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 
Our Instagram and Facebook pages are vibrant spaces where you can engage with daily inspirational quotes from the saints, streaming DH broadcast encounters, and updates about our latest offerings. On our YouTube channel, you'll find a treasure trove of video podcasts, interviews, guided meditations and prayers, and reflections from renowned spiritual leaders. These resources are carefully curated to provide guidance, wisdom, and insights that can help you discern life's challenges with a sense of purpose and peace. By subscribing, following, and engaging with Discerning Hearts on these platforms, you're not only enriching your own spiritual journey, but also helping to spread awareness of our mission. Every like, share, and comment helps us reach more people who are seeking meaningful growth and connection. So, please take a moment to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well, and then share with a friend. Join the Discerning Hearts community and embark on a transformative spiritual journey alongside fellow seekers. Your engagement not only benefits you, but also contributes to the growth and impact of Discerning Hearts. We now return to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. What lies ahead on the other end of that journey, though we're not shown it in The Lord of the Rings, is when the, the ship sails the straight way, as Tolkien calls it. It leaves the circles of the world, as he calls them, and it enters the blessed realm. And this is the place where Frodo will find healing and blessed rest and peace and be prepared finally for the ultimate journey, which will be the journey through death to what awaits beyond. Now, I want to go back to a moment in Frodo's story. And this is when he refuses to cast the ring into the crack of doom. So at the cost of great suffering and labor, he and Sam have now reached the Mount of Fire. He stands poised on the, the crack of doom. All he needs to do is take the ring off his finger and do what he came to do, and that is to throw it into the fire. And he refuses to do it. What's striking is I think many people have had the experience that I know I had in reading The Lord of the Rings. Frodo fails. He gets to the critical point of his journey at the cost of great labor, and then he fails to achieve his task. How do we understand that? What's at work in that? I was going to say, I think many of us, as we read The Lord of the Rings, hardly even perceive this as a failure, and there's a reason why we don't. But it is a failure, a refusal to fulfill the task. So Tolkien is explaining this in a letter, and he quotes the uh, final words of the Our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he says, lead us not into temptation is the harder and less often considered petition. The view in the terms of my story is that though every event or situation has at least two aspects, the history and the development of the individual, it is something out of which he can get ultimate good for himself or fail to do so. So there is the individual situation in the story. And then secondly, the history of the world, which depends on his actions for its own sake. Still, there are abnormal situations in which one may be placed, sacrificial situations, I should call them. That is, positions in which the good of the world depends on the behavior of an individual in circumstances which demand of him suffering and endurance far beyond the normal, even it may happen, or seem humanly speaking, demand a strength of body and mind which he does not possess. 
Now, this is the situation into which Frodo is being placed. And sometimes you see these situations in life where you, you look at the situation a person is living and you say, how can anyone bear up under that? Maybe um, several deaths in the family, the husband or the wife is ill with a serious disease. There may be moral struggles in the lives of family members. And it just seems as though it's more than any one person can possibly bear. This is the kind of situation in which Frodo finds himself as his energy has been increasingly weakened as the ring gains power, as Frodo journeys toward the source of its its shaping in Mount Doom, and his own physical and emotional energies get increasingly spent. This is a situation in which Frodo is now placed. The task is simply beyond his energies. He is, in a sense, Tolkien says, says, doomed to failure, doomed to fall to temptation or to be broken by pressure against his will. So it's not that he wants to fail, but his energy is simply too little to face up to the overwhelming burden that is now upon him. That is, against any choice he make, he could make or would make unfettered, not under the, the duress. Frodo was in such a position, an apparently complete trap. A person of greater native power, like Gandalf or Elrond, could probably never have resisted the ring's lure to power so long, said this earlier. A person of less power could not hope to resist it in the final decision. Already Frodo had been unwilling to harm the ring before he set out and was incapable of surrendering it to Sam. So the quest was bound to fail as a piece of world plan and also was bound to end in disaster as the story of humble Frodo's development to the noble, his sanctification. Fail it would and did, as far as Frodo considered alone was concerned. He apostatized. He refused the task at the point of its fulfillment. Now, this is the thing. But at this point, the salvation of the world and Frodo's own salvation is achieved not by his strength, is achieved by his previous pity and forgiveness of injury. That is, the ring is destroyed not because Frodo is able to resist it, but because Gollum takes it from him by force, just biting off the ring finger. And now Gollum has the ring. And of course, as he's dancing with his mad delight, in possessing the ring at last, steps too far, topples and falls into the cracks, crack of fire, and the ring is destroyed. So the salvation of the world and Frodo's own salvation is achieved by his previous pity and forgiveness of injury. At any point, any prudent person would have told Frodo that Gollum would certainly betray him. And in fact, repeatedly, person after person, Sam wants to kill Gollum until finally he comes to pity him too at the very end. Faramir tells Frodo that he does not do wisely in allowing Gollum to be his companion, and so on. Initially, Frodo himself wishes that Bilbo had slain Gollum and that it would have been just to slay that treacherous creature. Aragorn has Gollum in his hands at one point and also pities him and refuses to slay him. So that many persons have pitied Gollum, who is corrupted and evil, but in whom they see just the small chance of the possibility of a recovery and a renewal in him, and they spare him in the hope that he may find it, as now Frodo has done repeatedly too along the journey. At any point, any prudent person would have told Frodo that Gollum would certainly betray him and rob him in the end. To pity him, to forbear to kill him, was a piece of folly, 
or a mystical belief in the ultimate value in itself of pity and generosity, even if disastrous in the world of time. Gollum did rob him and injure him in the end, but by a grace, that last betrayal was at a precise juncture when the final evil deed was the most beneficial thing anyone could have done for Frodo. By a situation created by his forgiveness and his pity, he was saved himself and relieved of his burden. He was very justly accorded the highest honors. Now Tolkien goes on to say in another letter that Frodo's failure is not a moral failure. It's just that he is placed in a situation which goes beyond his energies. He is no longer able to resist the ring. And what saves Frodo himself and the world through him was his preceding pity and forgiveness of Gollum, who then at the last moment becomes the actor through which the ring is destroyed. Now, if you compare Frodo as the hero in the destruction of the ring with the heroes of many of the old mythologies, think of Aeneas and Achilles, Hercules, Odysseus, Hector, and so on, there's a a striking difference. These heroes achieve victory through their, their prowess, through their feats in war, through their physical strength and their courage. Frodo is a hero who achieves victory through his pity and his forgiveness. And in this, Tolkien is making a very powerful point. It's Ultimately, it's the way Jesus saves the world, through, if you will, the weakness of the cross, through the submitting to death and torment and death on the cross. And it's in that way, it's through his weakness that the, the world is saved. As Paul says, it is when I am weak that I am strong. This is one of the powerful things in The Lord of the Rings, where you see its profoundly Christian nature, as, as Tolkien said. Father Gallagher, it's not as strongly said. I, d- I don't know if the word is even mentioned, but it's mercy. Would you say that that's what Frodo is, is living through and has offered Gollum? Absolutely. Let me read to you just a few more lines from the other letter then where Tolkien says exactly that. So he writes, I do not think that Frodo's was a moral failure. That's why I say I don't think we ever really feel that Frodo failed in the sense that he freely chose when he was had the energy to do otherwise, he freely chose to renounce the quest. It wasn't a moral failure. At the last moment, the pressure of the ring would reach its maximum. Impossible, I should have said, for anyone to resist, certainly after long possession, months of increasing torment, and when starved and exhausted. Frodo had done what he could and spent himself completely and had produced a situation in which the object of his quest could be achieved. His humility with which he began and his sufferings were justly rewarded by the highest honor, and his exercise of patience and mercy toward Gollum gained him mercy with a capital M. His failure was redressed. So it's exactly that in Tolkien's mind. It's because Tolkien was willing to be forgiving to pity the struggle of another who had turned away from good, but in whom Frodo saw at least, even if only slight, a small possibility that he might change, renounce evil, and turn again toward good. Frodo's mercy, pity, and forgiveness, those are the words that Tolkien uses, toward one who is in this situation, becomes the instrument of God's mercy in his own life, and brings about his salvation and through him the achievement of the quest and the salvation of the world from evil. 
which says something very, very powerful about what comes into the world when we are willing to be merciful, when we are willing to forgive, when we are willing to pity the struggles of a person who maybe has turned away from the Lord and whose life seems maybe even like golems entrenched in that, but in whom we see still the possibility that God's grace may be at work. It's the first thing that Jesus says on the cross. It's his first word, the seven last words. This is the first of them all. Father, forgive them. And in that forgiveness is, is the salvation of the world. So yes, it's a very powerful thing. And it speaks very, very profoundly to the Christian sense of heroism, the Christian sense of what brings about salvation. And it comes about not through our strength, but through forgiveness, through pity, and through mercy. Father Gallagher, we have so many more incredible characters and insights that can be gleaned from the Lord of the Rings. I look forward to our future episodes. But in closing this one and the series of conversations we've had on Frodo, any final thoughts? Frodo stands as a hobbit and to use Tolkien's word again of applicability, Frodo stands from this perspective as the image of all of us whose lives are so important in this world, who may feel at times as though we're being asked to walk a journey or carry burdens or responsibilities that seem beyond us, but who are never left alone in whom God's grace is at work. And who will find, as we faithfully walk the journey like Frodo, that it may be our very weakness, our very struggle, and our very willingness to be merciful toward others, that in the long run will bring about the fulfillment of the mission that we've been given. I think it's a very striking image beyond simply enjoying the story, which is always the basic thing. It's a very striking image of hope for us that All that God has asked you to do is truly possible in this world. Thank you so much, Father Gallagher. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com And join us next time for A Lord of the Rings Spiritual Retreat with Father Timothy Gallagher.